0: Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. A modern retelling of that proverb might go something like this. A person may have hundreds of Facebook friends, but they will still at some point find themselves alone with their life crashing down around them but there is a kind of friend that God provides for seasons of adversity that is better even than a family member. Now, which of us here wouldn't want a friend who sticks closer than a brother? Which of us wouldn't want a Diana to go along with our Anne of Green Gables? All right, ladies, huh, come on. Yeah, that was for my wife. this one's for me. Which wouldn't want a Sam Gamgee to go along with our Frodo Baggins? <laughs> the idea of a true friend to walk with you, to be with you in your time of need. I think of a staff member that I talked to this week as we were going through the sermon and we were talking about friendship and he related the story about when he was in middle school, he didn't have very good friends. And that was of deep concern to his mother and he was switching schools in part, I think because of the Bad influence of friends and she took one of the prayer roses we used to have at the church and she made it her concerted effort to pray for friends for her son and here we are 10 or 15 years later and the staff person can't talk about that prayer or those friends without choking up when we think about a friend that sticks closer to a brother it's a gift from God a true friend see in America we're good at surface friendships we're good at acquaintances even at friendships like that that last for a long period of time. But Proverbs is talking about something different, something deeper. Something that is a gift from God. And if you've experienced that, you know that one true friend from God is better than a million Facebook friends. We've been talking together in the books of First and 2 Samuel about having an undivided heart for God. And one of the major themes is, is that there's a difference between outward appearance and inner substance that we can go through the motions of being religious but that doesn't do any good what we want is a heart that is sold out for the Lord well there's a parallel in the world of friendship there are friends that are surface friends we get on well with them we enjoy being with them that's really fun and nice and great but there is also a deeper inner substance a reality a kind of friendship that goes beyond having things in common it's that kind of true friendship that the Bible is talking about this morning what we want to do is we want to pull back the veil and not talk about that sort of surface friendship that outward experience of friendship but the heart of true friendship what does God mean when he talks about a friend that sticks closer than a brother And this morning we want to use the story of David and Jonathan, which I believe God put in our Bibles in part to teach us about the gift of friendship from God. We want to ask the question, what is friendship from God? What does it look like? How do we recognize it? And so I'd love if you take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's page 204. In the Bibles that the church provides. 1 Samuel 18. We're going to be covering chapters 18, 19, and 20. And again, my urge to you over and over again. We can't cover all these verses on a Sunday morning. We're going to go through the main idea of the passage. But please on your own, read them yourself. God has such amazing things to say to us in this story. And as I preach about what true friendship looks like and how to recognize it. Go back through and read the story yourself. Confirm that these things are so. Let God speak to you through other portions of these chapters that we're not able to cover yet today. Well, let me bring you up to speed. At this point in the story of First Samuel, David has just finished defeating Goliath. And it's interesting that on the day in which David overcomes his most infamous opponent is also the day he meets his best friend. And that Jonathan, who is King Saul's son and David, will meet on the day that David defeats Goliath. And we pick up the story in chapter 18, verse number 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Here in these first four verses, we have a picture of what does it mean when we talk about true friendship, friendship that comes from the Lord. Now, one thing we can notice about is that it has something to do with loving another person as we love ourselves. After all, that phrase is repeated twice in these four verses. However, I don't think that that is the definitive definition of what it means to be a friend. After all, this is really just the second great commandment. Jesus tells us we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. We're supposed to love everybody this way. That there is a sense that anybody that we come in contact with, we're supposed to treat them the way we want to be treated. So I don't think the fact that Jonathan loved David as himself is really the essence of what it means for them to be friends. It's part of it, but I don't think that's the essence. Also in chapter 19, as you're reading through this on your own, you'll find that Jonathan speaks of his fondness for David, that sort of warm feeling that he has, the fact that he likes David. That too, I think, is part of friendship. But I don't think that's the definitive essence of friendship. The definitive essence of true friendship from the Lord, I think, comes in the first verse. Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Literally, it says that Jonathan's soul and David's soul were bound together. They were welded together. They were soulmates, if you will. That what had happened is is that their hearts were so united that they were together as one. Now at this point, we have to address the modern speculation. Completely unfounded, but modern speculation that David and Jonathan were involved in some sort of intimate physical relationship. This is clearly not the case. First, the word for binding of souls together is not a word for romantic love. This is not a word that the Bible uses for romantic love. What it's used for is when you have unity of purpose. When you're on the same page, going the same direction, doing the same thing. That's why this same word is used often to speak of conspirators. Those who are conspiring together to do evil. If your hearts are set together to do evil or to do good, you're bound together. Likewise, when it says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself, this is not a romantic kind of love. This same word for love is going to be used just a few verses later when it says that all the people love David. This is the fact that uh, they had a fondness for him. Likewise, we're going to see in the story that both David and Jonathan marry women and give birth to children. And finally, there is another passage later on where it says where David says of Jonathan that the love that he had for Jonathan was better than the love he had for a woman. But what he means is not what modern notions about this sometimes want to make it out to mean. What he means is in that patriarchal society where women were not given a lot of responsibility or not given a, a lot of authority, that David in a position of authority in leading God's people found in the person of Jonathan a kindred spirit. Somebody who could share that burden with him. Somebody who understood what he was going through. That's what he's talking about. They are devoted to one another. That is the essence of true friendship. Now, it's interesting that David and Jonathan's, the depth of the friendship they have for one another exceeds even how they feel about their own family members. That's where when Proverbs says, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that's what David and Jonathan have that they are connected to one another. Now, the reason it isn't, it's not surprising. We shouldn't be surprised that David and Jonathan are united to one another in a unique way because both of them have undivided hearts for the Lord. Jonathan, if you remember, he was the one who with his armor bearer went out to attack the Philistines, just the two of them, remember what he says, Nothing's going to hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Let's go. Likewise, David, when Goliath comes, he says, well, what's the problem? The God of Israel is on our side. David is not looking at circumstances or at the enemy. He's looking at God. So it's no surprise that these two men, when they come together, find in themselves a kindred spirit. It's because both of them have undivided hearts for the Lord. And that's an important observation. Many of the things that I'm going to say today about true friendship can be found among those who are not believers in Jesus. There is some level of true friendship that can be found among non-Christians. But in the Bible's point of view, the essence of true friendship is the uniting of two souls together. And when you find another soul who is sold out for the Lord, you're going to be a kindred spirit with them, if that's where you're at. That's what David and Jonathan are doing, is together for each of them separately. The Lord is the most important thing to them. And so it's no surprise that when they come together, their souls, which are sold out to the Lord, are bound and welded together. This is not true of their immediate families. In David's case, we don't know anybody in his family not even his first wife who's described in this passage, who has this kind of passion for the Lord. His brothers don't, his dad doesn't seem to. In Jonathan's immediate family, the same is true. After all, his dad is Saul. And in that whole family, there is more of an emphasis on outward religion and not on heart, but Jonathan's different. And so Jonathan and David, because they are two men who are sold out for the Lord, find that the bond that they have with each other is stronger Than the bond that they have with their family members. And that's still true today. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, especially for those of you who may be here this morning who have non Christian family members. (coughs) It wouldn't surprise me, in the least, in fact, I would expect it, that a Christian friend would mean more to you and be more of a soulmate to you and connected to you in a stronger way than your own blood relatives. I would expect that you would feel more comfortable and want to be around another person who is sold out for Jesus rather than somebody that you're simply related to. I have a saying that I've used in the past. Blood may be thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. That's why Jesus says when someone comes to him and says, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting for you. He says... Who who is my mother? And who are my brothers? It is those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And Jesus' beloved disciple is not somebody he is biologically related to. That this kind of soulmate, this kind of kindred spirit, this kind of unity of purpose that comes out of serving the Lord is not related to being a family member. Now, that doesn't mean You can't have this kind of relationship with someone you are related to. The same language is used of Ruth with her mother-in-law, Naomi. They are one spirit. Ruth says, look, we're one person. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your Lord is my Lord. We are together, knitted together. Jacob has this kind of feeling for his son, Benjamin. That their souls were united together. In the Song of Songs, we're told of a husband and his wife who are soulmates in this sense. So I'm not saying you can't have this kind of relationship with someone you're related to. What I am saying is that just because you are related to someone, whether by law or biology, does not mean you're going to have this kind of relationship. That when we talk about true friendship from the Lord, what we're talking about is the uniting of two souls in common single-minded devotion the Lord the kindred spirit that comes out of finding another person whose sole desire is the glory of God it has nothing to do with having similar interests it's not liking the same sports teams it's not working at the same company together it's not having kids who are friends that is not the biblical definition of friendship the biblical definition of friendship Is two hearts welded together in their common devotion to the Lord. Now, if that's what true friendship is, how do you recognize it? How do you recognize that true friend, that friend who sticks closer than a brother? Let me give you four characteristics from this passage of what true friendship looks like. Friendship that is from the Lord, not friendship the way the world defines it, but that's from the Lord first characteristic is this a true friend defends you to those who are against you and seeks to reconcile you with them a true friend defends you to those who are against you and seeks to reconcile you with them look over in chapter 19 verse number four as you're glancing over there the story progresses Although Saul is very uh, happy with David because he kills Goliath, pretty soon the people's affections who love David are greater than those for Saul, and Saul becomes jealous and wants to kill him. Jonathan, who is Saul's son, but also David's soulmate, kindred spirit, speaks to his father in verse number four. It says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, "'Let not the king do wrong to his servant David,' He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. And you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David? By killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. The reason they're reconciled together is because Jonathan is working behind the scenes when his dad, the king, stands up and says something against his friend. Jonathan says, look, that's wrong. You cannot talk about my friend that way. And he works behind the scenes to bring these two people together again. In the culture in which we live, that's not the way friendship is celebrated. You can see movies out there like Mean Girls, which celebrate the idea that one girl takes advantage of another girl who's having difficulty with somebody else. That's what people do in our culture. When there is difficulty, when there is a rift in a relationship, some people see that as an opportunity to jump in and advance their own interests. But that's not how God defines friendship. True friendship from the Lord, a true friend, defends you to those who are against you and doesn't try to benefit from the conflicts you're engaged in, but instead tries to reconcile you with those who are against you. Second characteristic, how do you recognize a true friend? A true friend, number two, is a servant. A true friend is a servant. Look over at chapter 20. Verse number four, as the story proceeds, although Saul has made an oath that he's not going to try to kill David, he soon rescinds his oath and decides to hunt David down again. Jonathan and David begin to plan together. How can we save David's life? And in the midst of their planning, look what Jonathan says to David. Verse number four, Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. What Jonathan is saying is, look, David, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help any way I can. What can I do? True friendship is not about saying, well, what can this person give to me? Jonathan is not looking at David and saying, what am I getting out of this relationship? How is this blessing me? Am I enjoying hanging out with David? Does he make me laugh? Is this a good time? That's not how he's approaching this. Instead, he's approaching us, how can I serve David. This past Tuesday night was the first Tuesday of the month. And on the first Tuesday of the month, the elders, we get together and we anoint people with oil and pray over them. Just like James five says, anybody in the congregation who wants prayer for healing during that time can come. And uh, many people will often come this Tuesday night. We anointed uh, a man named John with oil and prayed over him. Now, nothing surprising about the fact that we were praying over him, but there was something very unusual about this one anointing session that we had. And the unusual thing was, is that John wasn't sick. There was nothing wrong with John. He wasn't having any spiritual or emotional or physical or mental issues. John was there on behalf of somebody else. That John and his wife Kathy have been serving a woman in our church who has struggled mightily with her health. And John and Kathy have been with her. Every time I've seen her in the hospital, either John or Kathy's been there with her. That John and Kathy have prayed faithfully for her. That John and Kathy have served her not just for weeks or for months, but for years. And this past Tuesday, this dear woman was in the hospital with too much pain and she couldn't come to the elders. And so John came on her behalf. That's a friend. That's a servant. They're not looking, John and Kathy are not looking at this woman saying, What can she do for us? When was the last time she invited us over? That's not how they're approaching it. They're approaching it as a true servant. And I believe that because of their heart of service and love for this friend, I believe that by us anointing John, God counted the prayers we prayed over John as having been prayed over her. A true friend serves. Third characteristic, how do you know when God's given you a true friend that sticks closer than a brother? They are grieved when you are mistreated or when you suffer. They are grieved when you are mistreated or when you suffer. Look in verse number 34. After Saul has made it known that he is going to try to kill David, no matter what Jonathan says. Jonathan tries one more time to talk him out of it. Saul will have nothing to do with it. So in verse number 34, it says, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. How do you know when you have a true friend? You really figured out in the midst of adversity. It's during the times of suffering. It's during the times of trials. That person feels your pain almost as much as you do. They're not the kind of person who says, well, better you than me. They're the person who aches because you're being mistreated. They are grieved because you are suffering. In some ways, they almost feel it more than you do. It's different. But in the midst of these difficult times, a true friend from the Lord is grieved at the depths of their heart for you. Remember, if your souls are united together and your soul is hurting, their soul will hurt. That's how you know if it's a true friend. I love this quote from Henry Nowen. Henry Nouwen says, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement who can tolerate not knowing not curing not healing and face with us the reality of our powerlessness that is a friend who cares fourth characteristic how do you recognize a true friend this one is the most important A true friend loves sacrificially. Jump up just a couple of verses to verse number 30. This is the discussion that so grieves Jonathan's heart. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Saul's right here. As long as David is alive, Jonathan will never be king. Even though Jonathan is the oldest son of the current king, even though Jonathan walks with the Lord... He's filled with the Lord's spirit. God has not chosen Jonathan to be king. He's chosen David. And Jonathan accepts that from the Lord and loves his friend enough to lay down his kingdom for his friend. Talk about sacrifice. He has every right, humanly speaking, to claim kingship. But instead of viewing David as a rival, he lays down the kingdom at David's feet. Jonathan himself is going to acknowledge this in chapter 23. He's going to say to David, you are to be king and I'm here to help you. That's a true friend. Three years ago, I was gone on a trip out of the country. And the flu bug hit our family with a vengeance. We had four little kids at the time. And the flu bug swept through our home. And I think kids were vomiting probably every half hour on the hour. Just constant. Lisa got it so bad that she had to be admitted to the hospital for dehydration. Now there were friends who took her to the hospital and watched over. I was gone out of the country. When Lisa got home, there was a friend who had come over and cleaned everything up. Now you can imagine what's going to happen. If you clean all of that up, you're going to get sick yourself. And knowing full well that she was going to get sick, she came and did it anyway. Not only that, another friend canceled all of her activities of the evenings that week and moved in with Lisa and our kids so that she could be there to serve my wife and our kids while I was gone. That's sacrifice. I'm sure there were other things she would have rather done in the evenings than that. But that's a true friend, someone who loves sacrificially. The beauty of what God is painting here is as the world tells us that friends are the number of people on Facebook who respond to posts that you put up. God is saying there is a different definition of true friendship. And if you've experienced true friendship, you know that this is a gift from God. That one true friend in the midst of adversity is worth its weight in gold. It's more valuable than anything else. In fact, this is one of the main ways that God manifests his presence to us as we're suffering, as we're going through these things. We think God's forgotten about us. We think God's abandoned us. We think God's ignoring us. And God is saying, I provided a friend for you for just such a time as this. That David can't accuse God of abandoning him because God has put Jonathan in David's life. Now I have an assignment for all of us today. I'd like you to take it seriously. As I prayed through this passage, there are really two choices about how to preach this passage. You can either preach it from the perspective of us being David or from us being Jonathan. Either major character, When we read the Bible, what we do is we read ourselves into the story. We could have either read ourselves into the story as Jonathan, or we could have read ourselves into the story as David. Through prayer and consideration, I felt we needed to read ourselves into the story as David. In other words, this sermon has been preached not about how to be a true friend, but how to recognize true friendship. David is the one who is being defended. David is the one who is being served. David is the one uh, who is uh, being grieved over. David is the one who is being loved sacrificially. Now don't get me wrong. David will in turn be a friend to Jonathan. That there will come a time when Jonathan's son needs David to be sacrificial for him. And David will do it even after Jonathan is dead. Which shows that true friendship lasts beyond the grave. But in this passage, it's David who is receiving the friendship. And so this sermon I felt compelled to preach, how do you and I recognize when God has given us the gift of a true friend? But to be fair, if we're going to play the role of David, then we have to play it to its fullest. There is one thing that David does in this passage for Jonathan. It's in chapter 20, verse number 41. And it's from this that our assignment is going to come. Verse 41 says, After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. And here's the phrase. But David wept the most. Now, when you go back through and you read the story in chapter 20, you're going to find that David and Jonathan, because Saul will not relent in his desire to kill David, have come up with an elaborate ruse. David is not going to come to the royal court. Instead, he's going to hide in the outskirts, outside the city in a field. Jonathan is going to come, and they've got this elaborate system by which Jonathan is going to signal David, who's way across another field. They're doing it this way so that David doesn't have to be seen because if he's seen, he's going to get caught. And so there's some shooting arrows and there's a little boy and Jonathan has these cryptic things that he says to the boy. If he says one thing, then David knows it's safe to come out of hiding. If he says another thing, then David knows it's not safe. And he's supposed to just leave silently. But when you're reading, you get to verse number 41 and you think, David, what are you doing? You just threw the whole plan away. It worked. He got that Saul was after him. He's way off across the field. It's time for him to leave. Why does Jonathan throw this whole plan away? I mean, sorry, why does David throw the whole plan away? It's because he can't leave without saying thank you. That he's willing to risk his life. He's willing to risk being caught. Because he cannot leave until he expresses his gratitude to Jonathan. He knows that Jonathan is the gift from God to him. He wouldn't have made it without Jonathan. And so when it's time to go, he stands up and he can't do it. And so he runs back across the field. He embraces his friend. And that's why it says that David wept the most. is because he had experienced the grace of God in and through a true friendship. So here's our assignment. If we're going to play the role of David, we've got to play that role. If God has put a Jonathan in your life, our job this week is to sit down and write that Jonathan a note and say thank you. Not an email, not a text, Not an e-card, not any other solution you can think about. Go to the store, buy a card and write a handwritten note. If David is gonna come out of hiding and risk his life because gratitude is that important, if it's so important to him to say thank you to Jonathan, then you and I need to do the same thing. If we're gonna play the role of David, we've got to play it to its fullest. especially if in the midst of suffering or difficulty, God has provided you with a Jonathan who has defended you, who has served you, who has been grieved with you, and who has sacrificed for you, then the least that we can do is do what David did, is to stop and say thank you to God for this person and to express to the Jonathans that God has put in our life the depth of our gratitude for God's blessing through them. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of friends. Lord, acquaintances are great. We celebrate those. But Lord, that true friend, the person who is a soulmate, that kindred spirit, the one who walks with us, God, that is a gift directly from your hand. God, please help us not to take that for granted. May we learn from the example of David. May we be obedient to your word and do the part of David that you are commanding us to do. Help us to be grateful, Lord. I pray for each of us this week that you would bring to mind that Jonathan. It's not going to be hard for those of us who have one to think of who it is. God, do not let Satan steal the seed from our heart, but today, this week, let us write that note. Lord, I'm picturing and praying, God, and asking right now that this week thousands of people would open up their mail And receive a card that means the world to them. Lord, I pray that Jonathans in this city, and this congregation, and even across the country, or maybe even across the world, would this week open a note that would bring you glory. Because it comes from a grateful heart. God, encourage us to do this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.